Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Lang's researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah's out of the desert, but, well, you'll be back in three more days because you're insane and you're doing cross-country trips, it seems like, every couple of days. So... Uh, next week we'll have all things WBC, which will be fun because you've been at the games at that point. You will be seeing things. You'll be deep into it all. So that'll be nice to be able to talk about. And I'm sure if you've been following Sarah on Twitter, you don't need to know what we're going to be talking about in the second half because she's been preparing for the WBC. So we'll get into all of that um, later. But first, we'll continue our division-by-division division breakdown. This week we have Adam McCalvey joining us our Brewers reporter for MLB.com, and we can break down the NL Central as we move from west to east. Sarah, I, I know each week we start with these and we have uh, eventually get to our rankings, but is there anything that you want to kick off the NL Central preview with? I mean, I am really excited to see how this division plays out. You know, last week we talked about giving some justice for the AL Central, which I think people were sort of, uh, you you and Joe were talking about how the AL Central maybe doesn't get the appreciation it deserves. I think with Adam here today, we can do the same for the NL Central because even if it won't be the most competitive division, it will certainly have a lot of really exciting talent. So my first question to Adam is just how, how this division has changed over the last few years because to me it has really changed in the span of we had this Cubs dynasty that never fully played out, then the Brewers were really good for a while. And now we're here where we just tend to expect the Cardinals year after year. Well, and this year they look really good. And I think, you know, a lot of the projections are picking them first again. I think to me, the big change this year is that the Cubs are back. And the Cubs being back reminds me of the Brewers a couple of years ago where they uh, went into this rebuild in about 2015 where they made a bunch of trades. The big trade was with the Astros that sent uh, Mike Fires and Carlos Gomez to Houston. And the Brewers got Josh Hader and a bunch of prospects back. And then two years later, the Brewers were contending again, right down to the end. So their rebuild, instead of this like five-year rebuild, 
was like a two-year rebuild. And the Cubs, to me, look like the similar. they're in a similar spot where they're, they made all these offseason moves. They were by far the most busy team in the division during the offseason. And it looks like they're going to try to contend again. But, it, you know, and I think almost everybody is going to say Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs as the, the three teams that are going to buy to win this division. Adam, it seems like obviously with the Brewers specifically, the focus always goes to pitching. And yeah. I think that the the general question or the simplest way of asking it is, do you think the offense is good enough to maybe be better than what everyone is thinking or always giving credit to just the pitching? Well, this conversation is so interesting and Sarah can attest to this because she knows the numbers better than any human being on the planet Earth. <laughs> But the yeah. scent, like, if you walked out into the stands at American Family Field last year and asked, you know, what do you think about the Brewers' offense? Everybody turns up their nose. And the, the consensus, I think, if you just talk to people at the games, was that it was the worst offense in baseball. Well, it was like a top half. It wasn't the best offense in baseball, but it was top half. Um, and I think this was just a it's, – it's a baseball thing right now that the pitching dominates – and the Brewers have been kind of at the front of that the last couple of years. And Corbin Burns is at the front of that when you think about it. In 2019, Corbin Burns was one of statistically one of the worst pitchers in the National League. And in 2020, he was a Cy Young Award contender. And what happened between those two was the Brewers sent them to their pitching lab with their, uh, their renovated complex that year. And they kind of rejiggered his arsenal they turned a four-seamer that cut into one of the best cutters in Major League Baseball. Um, he got LASIK. He did tons of mental skills training. He completely remade himself in the lab, essentially. And he came back, and he is now one of the best pitchers in the sport. And it's a story, kind of a microcosm of what's happened all over the league, where the pitchers with technology uh, have jumped ahead. And um, the Brewers have done a really good job turning some really good pitchers. So, yeah, their starting pitching is the key to everything for them this year. Um, the bullpen is totally remade. Devin Williams is now the anchor at the end. And almost everything in front of that is a question mark as we sit here halfway through spring training. But the starting rotation, it's the same names that if you watch the Brewers last year, you're going to see this year with the return of Wade Miley, who's one of the great characters in our sport. Um, and was with the Brewers in 2018. So it, it is a it's a it's a, a group that's been together for a long time, which I think they view as one of their strengths. Those guys really work together as a unit, and that's going to be the difference for the Brewers. If they get healthy, you know, Carlin Burns made all of his starts last year. Phenomenal follow up to winning the Cy Young, but Brandon Woodruff missed starts. Freddie Peralta missed a lot of starts. He's a really good pitcher. Uh, Aaron Ashby missed time. Eric Lauer, I think, missed one start. Uh, uh, you know, if they, But if they get those guys, Ashby's going to miss some time at the front here. But if they get those first four starters up over 25 starts apiece, I think they're going to be a very, very competitive team at the end. I love that you point that out about the offense because I was actually on a podcast a couple weeks ago talking about the Brewers, and I was asked to guess where they ranked last year in run scored and I just like those people in the stands without walking guess that it was probably in that bottom half I think I said 23rd I believe yeah. the number was seventh 
in the majors in runs scored. So to your point, that offense was a lot better than anyone gave them credit for. And in my mind, some of that was that we saw the offense not produce a ton in 2020 and 2021. So people just came to expect the Brewers to be this pitching forward team, even though they did have offensive contributors. So one guy I think we have to talk about, as we mentioned, this offense is Christian Yelich. You know, he had, of course, the outstanding MVP season, the follow-up where had he not gotten hurt towards the end of the year, perhaps he would have been competing for it again. And then he dealt with injuries, and he just has not been the same self. And I feel like you and I have gone back and forth at times during the season looking at stretches over the last few years where maybe he's back, maybe his swing is back. And I know he's always a popular bounce-back candidate. How has he looked so far in spring, and what are the expectations or the realistic expectations for Christian Yelich in 2023. Sarah, that was like the best caveat you threw right in there, right? Because <laughs> the expectations when you sign for $200 million, especially when, when you are, you know, this is a team that doesn't dole out huge contracts like that. So you, you stand on an island. And Christian Yelich is a really smart man who understands that that is part of what comes with that signing that deal. And the expectations are like through the roof. The expectations are that he's 2018, 2019 Christian Yelich every year. Is that reasonable? I mean, everybody has the right to form their own opinion about that. There is a version of Christian Yelich that's not the 2018, 2019 Yelich. And Craig Council points this out a lot. It's, that's not at that level, but is not at the level he was 2021, 22, where it's sort of below what the Brewers are looking for. There's something in the middle that's a really, really good player that is fully worthy of the commitment that the, the franchise made to him and can be a, the, the, the leader offensively of a really good team. And they're trying to find that version. And, you know, look, this is a hard game. And people say, what happened to Christian Yelich? And the answer is so, like everything, so complex and multi-layered. It's, it's the, the contract. It's the pandemic happening like five days later, the sport shut down after he signed that extension. And think about some of the great hitters in our sport who were really just knocked back by the schedule change, by the empty stadiums, whatever it was about that short season really knocked some guys down. It was uh, the broken kneecap that he had to come back from. Uh, It's the back issue that has dogged him at times in his career. It's all of those things all at once. So, there is a path for him to get back to being a really, really good player because what he does is he hits the ball really hard. And that's my dumb way of saying what Sarah always says, really smart. And when you look at his, his hard hit numbers, he hits the ball really hard. And when he's not hitting it into the ground, he is a super dangerous player. So that's what they're trying to do is, is hit the ball hard and hit line drives. And it sounds really simple, but um, what he told us coming in is that, he sort of unplugged this offseason. He got the mind unplugged a little bit from the sport of baseball. Didn't follow all the craziness at the winter meetings, all the huge deals that were doled out. He kind of stepped away. And he's, he says he's come back feeling like mentally as good as he ever has. Um, so, you know, he feels like he's in position 
to be a really good player. And and, and I think what the, the point Craig Council makes is that, you know, he can be at peace with with not performing at that MVP level and still being like the leader of this team and, and really good. And he needs to find that little, as Craig Council would say, sweet spot. That's one of the councilisms. Find that sweet spot and, and they can get a super productive yellage. I know so much of the talk when you think about the NL Central is going to be Brewers, Cardinals, Cubs, and rightfully so, but I, I can't help myself because I want to throw some love to teams that don't always get it. And I'm, I, I, want, I know at the time that we're recording this, as of yesterday, he uh, got hurt, but Andrew McCutcheon coming back to the Pirates, I think is the inner like fan in me growing up of thinking of Andrew McCutcheon with the Pirates. I love that, that whole, that complete circle, the full circle coming back to it. I mean, it's like Albert Pujols coming back with the Cardinals. The NL Central keeps having this happen apparently, but um, is it, is it cool to, to see those types of things happen? Uh, I know it's something that we remove the fandom of our, our, uh, jobs and stuff, but is it cool to see that the last year and now this year again to see these full circle moments and to be able to see McCutcheon coming back with the Pirates? Yeah, we don't want to fully remove the fandom because mm-hmm. certain things happen in this game that are really cool, and McCutcheon going back there is one of them. And we were lucky enough to get to know him last year in Milwaukee. The man can still hit a left-handed uh, pitcher, and. There is a definite role for him on a team that's trying to build something with young, you know, especially the Statcast darling O'Neill Cruz has a chance to be sensational. Um, and McCutcheon can be a really good influence on that club and can still play, by the way. So that is that is one of my favorite stories uh, of the offseason. And you know, Carlos Santana with the Pirates is kind of fun too. They they I don't I don't know if I can name a lot of their pitchers at this point. But um, they have a chance to, you know, they're, they're building something there. And I think McCutcheon is a great ad. So he's got to be super happy. He still lives there. And it's, it's literally going home for him. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool that that worked out. That uh, photo that he had when he kind of announced the signing of him standing with his sort of trophy case with the MVP and a Pirate jersey on the wall with his two kids. I mean, I think that was one of our uh, favorite moments of the week that week. Now, Adam, every time we've had a beat writer on to preview a division, the final task is to rank the teams in order of finish that you anticipate and give us a wins projection for your team. So as of right now, as of recording, here's how Pakoda has it. Does have the Brewers first with 87 wins, then the Cardinals around 85 and a half. Cubs a cup low at 75 and a half, then the Pirates 71.8, and the Reds and last at 68. So how do you see this division shaping up in terms of order, and uh, how many games do you anticipate the Brewers will win? I'd rather do this by food in each city, so I think we should make that the next one. Um, <laughs> I love it. Pittsburgh would be my number one easily. Uh, I think this is a really easy division to rank based on just what we think. I think if you polled a hundred baseball people, they would have either, you know, some version of, of Cardinals, Brewers, one, two, and then Cubs, 
Pirates, Reds. Sarah, does that sound, both for both of you, does that sound about right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's certainly what I'm anticipating. I know that uh, people are kind of surprised when Pagoda had the Brewers number one when it first came out. I believe the numbers have kind of closened, uh, which is not yeah. a word, but gotten closer uh, over the course of the few weeks that has been out. But I think that tends to be uh, the fact that, that pitching is so good. But I agree, I am also picking the Cardinals here. I, I'm going to go, I, I picked this in um, some story I did or newsletter I did. I made 23 predictions for 23. And one of them that the Brewers was that the Brewers would win the division. So I'm going to stick with that based on, essentially based on Burns, Woodruff, Peralta. You know, and then Eric Lauer is a number four. When you dig into him and, and what he's done the last couple of years, that is a really, really good top four starters. So like I said, 25 plus starts out of all of those guys. I love their chances to win this division. So I will go Brewers and I'm just going to be bullish on the Brewers and be a full blown homer, but I think they get to 90. Um, Kirk, you know, you know there, there's something to be said for what disappointment can do in terms of motivating a group. They were very disappointed last year to miss the playoffs if you think, I mean, we're going way back, but in 21, that Brewers team was really good. And they ran away with the NL Central. They arrested everybody at the end. And they just went ice cold as a team offensively after Corbin Burns and Josh Hader no-hit Mandy Bell's Cleveland Guardians. Um, and they went ice cold. And then they didn't hit against the Braves in the Division Series, and the Braves won the World Series. Then 22, the Brewers missed the postseason for the first time in five years. So this group, like we talked about, has been together a lot, and they've experienced some, some disappointment, maybe some feeling of, like, missed opportunities. And they also look at Burns, Woodruff, Lauer, Willie Adamas, among the guys who have two years left before free agency. So we'll see how all that plays out. But that, to me, is like there's this window for them with this group to make a run here, and I think Craig Council has tried to make the argument like disappointment can really be a motivating force. And I think that's what they're hoping for this year. So I'll, I'll go full Homer and pick the Brewers uh, to win the division and get to 90 wins. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow Adam's work at brewers.com. Uh, thank you. And we really appreciate the time. Uh, I love you guys. It's good to see your faces and I'll see you throughout the season. Thanks, Adam. When we come back, we'll have Sarah give us all the fun tidbits leading up to the World Baseball Classic. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com. And Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, we are getting into really your wheelhouse. I mean, there's no other way to say it. You're prepping for all of your coverage, stats, everything that you're about to do for the World Baseball Classic coming up this weekend. You'll be back out here in Arizona for it in person, which will be so fun to have you back. You were starting to stumble upon some fun things and texting me and... I'm sure as soon as you texted me, you thought, you know what, I can just save some of these and just tell her in person rather than spoiling them ahead of time. So I do know one. I know one that is coming, and it is the strangest thing I think I've ever read, but the coolest thing at the same time. Um, so we're going to get into like a tidbit segment of all the, the, the cool, fun, random things that you found in your, your preparation. So go ahead and just start us off maybe with the strange one that I already know. <laughs> Awesome. Sounds good. So as I mentioned uh, last week, I think uh, I'm going to be sending the official uh, daily game notes for MLB PR during the World Baseball Classic. So if you're listening to this and you're credentialed for the event, you will have me in your inbox until the end of the tournament. I'm currently working on figuring out how I send an email to more than a thousand email addresses all at once. So fun times, no pressure, but I love it. Really, really excited to be doing this. So part of what I do is put together sort of team capsules. So info about the managers, info about the team, probable pitchers, all of that. And I want to give a ton of credit to uh, the individuals who we have working as sort of a I've seen both the phrase uh, press officer and uh, media liaison, but essentially we have people who already work in PR uh, for a team or have previously who are working for the tournament for each individual country's team. So they have been sending me these amazing game notes they have worked on. I've been helping them with research, all of that. And I want to actually shout them all out really quick. It's 20 names. I'll probably botch a couple of them, but they're doing such great work, and I want people to know about them. So for Team Australia, we have Kyle Brostowitz, who works for the Nationals. For Canada, it's Adam Morissette, who I believe works for Baseball Canada. Uh, China, it's Crystal Tian, who works for Major League Baseball. For Chinese Taipei, we have Richard Wong. For Colombia, we have uh, Melissa Stroza, who works for the Pirates. For Cuba, it's uh, Francisco Campo. Uh, Czech Republic, Rob Livingston, who works for the Rockies. Dominican Republic, it's John Blake, who works for the Rangers. For Great Britain, it's Mike Pasanisi, who works for the Giants. For Israel, it is the great Jay Horwitz of the Mets. For Italy, Pat O'Connell. Japan, Shingo Hori. Korea, Eugene Kyu. Mexico, Danny Sanchez, Netherlands, Dustin Morse of the Twins, 
Nicaragua, John Eric Alvarez, Panama, Franco Garcia, Puerto Rico, Will Nadal, uh, United States is Mike Swanson, and Venezuela is Carlos Guillen. I know that's a lot of names, but I think these people deserve credit for all that they're doing to manage everything PR for these teams. Think about the day-to-day -day of what managing PR is for a major league team. And then you add in the fact of being on a foreign continent for many of these people dealing with language barriers and so much else. I just think it's so impressive. So here are a few fun facts I have come across as I've gone through the game notes that those wonderful people have put together. So this is the first one Mandy made reference to. It is from Team Netherlands. There's a player on the team named Sick North Loopstock. I remember seeing this name around and uh, maybe during the prior WBC. I did not know why this individual was named Sick North. Again, that's S-I-C-N-A-R-F. He is named after his father, Francis. But his father decided to spell his name in reverse order. So Sickenorf is Francis backwards. I'm sitting here like trying to think of like if I would name my daughter Mandy backwards and like <laughs> Yidnam doesn't quite have the same ring to it. The fact that you're able to do that and it not be like like how YD is beside each other if you would do backwards of mine and it this doesn't that doesn't work. The fact that it even still works is really impressive. I would love to know the backstory. How on earth did he come up with this idea that it should be spelled backwards? But I can tell you right now, this is my favorite, I think, birth name because I think there's going to be nicknames that I think I like more. But birth name, that, that's unmatched. That's as good as it gets. Just so much fun. So you made reference to nicknames and I was going through the info that I was sent about the manager of Chinese Taipei. The manager's name is Yue Ping Lin. And then it says he is known as Daddy Pie. <laughs> he is the CBPL all-time saves leader and apparently one of the most celebrated and colorful players in Taiwanese baseball history, which makes sense to me given that nickname. Just absolutely amazing. Listen, Daddy Pie is this, that's that's incredible nickname, and this should have been included in our other podcast that we did on yes. nicknames because. Let me just do like, you know, shameless plug of our other podcast. If you haven't listened to our Fielding Questions podcast, which you can listen to wherever you're listening to this, um, we did a whole episode on baseball nicknames and Daddy Pie would have fit right in because we, we really went through the backstory of all of these, uh, had a blast recording that. So if you are interested at all in how odd of nicknames baseball can get, go listen to that as well because, goodness, I think Daddy Pie would have been one of the just a, of a couple of strange ones that we had in there, but whew, that would have been a candidate for me to be my favorite because 
Can you imagine walking up to your manager, just walking by, all right, Daddy Pie, let's get this one today. Like, what? <laughs> How do you say that? Okay, sorry. Very funny. I love it. So this one is more on the heartwarming side, but I love it. So Tommy Edmund is playing for Team Korea. So his nationality is American, but he's eligible to play because his mother is Korean. And I believe the note is that he is the first person who is not of Korean nationality to play for the country's team, which is really, really cool. We've seen photos and videos of him fitting in and his translator, and it's kind of funny for him to be in the opposite situation where he doesn't necessarily understand all of his teammates, but it's been really, really cool to see, and I know he's been getting along really well with the team, but I love this note. So his Korean name is Hyun Soo, and even though his Major League Baseball jersey just says Edmund and his name officially on Major League Baseball website, uh, Cardinals website, anywhere else would say Tommy Edmund. He asked to add H to the back of his jersey when he represents Korea. So instead of just saying Edmund, it'll say H. Edmund. And I love that call out to his heritage and to his family, to his mother, and to the fact that he does have a Korean name and he does have that connection. So he comes from a great baseball family. I remember learning this from uh, Do Hyung Park, who was on with us last week. I believe they were at Stanford at the same time. But uh, Tommy Evnen has a brother who works in baseball ops and a sister who works in baseball ops. So they're just like baseball royalty in another way. But I love that he chose to represent his Korean name on his jersey. Imagine this being your first introduction to, well, one, part of your own culture, like your mother's culture. But what a whirlwind that would be for this to be your first visit over there and then get thrown into all these games and trying to figure out how to interact with everybody. Um, my goodness, I can't even put myself in those shoes. That would be so cool and overwhelming. And I mean, I know I've said this on the podcast already, like Richie Palacios from Cleveland talking about playing in the Taiwan bracket. And um, he's playing for Team Netherlands, and he was already saying how pumped he was to experience that culture and how it's going to be so crazy in a whirlwind and all of these things because you're trying to balance so much at once, but you want to take in that culture and see what baseball means there. Jeez, getting thrown into it and then knowing that this is part of your own culture and wanting to really absorb in like that moment and understanding where you are and learning about it. This I can't even imagine how many, how quick these like week two weeks, whatever, how long he stays are going to go by because I'm sure it's got to be so cool for him and especially his mom. Gosh, she's got to love all of this. So there's another player in the tournament. A lot of players, I think we discussed this with uh, Freddie Freeman playing for Canada. A lot of players do sort of what you were alluding to there where even if they grew up in the U.S. or somewhere they do play for somewhere that has special meaning for their family, whether a parent grew up there or otherwise. And there is another player playing on Team Japan 
who is someone we would think of as likely American, uh, but is actually playing for Team Japan, that is Lars Nupar. He is half Japanese, and his mother is Japanese. He grew up in Southern California, but as a child, his dream was to play for the Japanese national team one day. So, it is very unique in this tournament that there are two American players playing for these Asian teams. And I just love it because the World Baseball Classic already shows us how global this game is. But I think that these guys who, uh, you know, actually are both from, might both be from California, uh, but are from the U.S., being able to use it to identify with the heritage and culture they have, that's on a whole other level from guys representing a place they grew up. And I think it's an amazing opportunity to be able to do that through baseball and through sports. It's like you've already gotten a little bit of a taste of it with the exhibition games when you see Shohei Otani out there and one how much baseball means to that culture i he has to be a god over there and i'm sure he is because he is an american baseball as well like you think of that but you see the excitement and the passion and what the wbc is bringing to that area and you can just see that culture and how much fun he's having. I, I, what did he just hit a home run on one knee or whatever the other day? Um, I just, it's so cool. And it just looks like it's like a mix of spring training and the regular season for me, where these guys are relaxed enough that they're having a blast and they know that this isn't like, this isn't playing for the world series. You're not, these games don't count just yet, but at the same time, they matter so much because you're trying to represent your, your country. And it, it, it matters more on a personal emotional level than what their day-to-day jobs mean. And so it's like this wonderful blend of competitive culture, but relax enough that you see these guys enjoying every single moment. And I think that's just been on display so far with Shohei Otani. It has. And to the point about these guys, you know, getting to know other players and really making connections through the WBC. When Otani hit the home run from one knee, he then did a pepper grinder celebration that he had learned from Lars Neuberg. And, I mean, those are two guys who play in opposite leagues, and I know they'll maybe get to know each other a bit better now with the balanced schedule, but overall, they didn't know each other beforehand in any real way, but because of bonding and the teams and everything, now here they are sharing a home run celebration. I mean, it's just amazing. I have one more. Okay, hit me. Fun fact, so... This is also from um, the Korean team. So Jung Ho Lee is coming off of a 2022 KBO MVP season. He led the league in five offensive categories for the Kawum Heroes. He is expected to be posted to MLB after the 2023 season. But this is, I mean, we, we should talk about stats. He slashed 349, 421, 575, 23 runs, 113 RBIs. Very good. 
He is nicknamed Grandson of the Wind because his father, KBO legend Jung Byung Lee, was nicknamed Son of the Wind. Well, one, I've never heard of a nickname being passed down through the generations, so that's, that's neat. I need to know, Son of the Wind, what would the... What would the wind mean? Now I'm going to go down a deep dive in my own head of trying to get the backstory when I have zero context. But uh, the whole idea of nicknames being passed down is new. I'm used to like birth names and you add junior, the third, whatever it might be. Nicknames takes it up a notch. I'm a fan of that. I love it so much. And I got another fun fact about him actually talking to Michael Clare who is one of our reporters on the ground uh, covering these games. He is in Tokyo right now. And he messaged me the other day and said, hey, can we confirm that he and his father are the only pair of, so far, of father-son to both appear in the WBC. So the son of the wind played no six. And now the grandson of the wind, who is the son of the son of the wind, is playing in 2023. We don't have a way to confirm all of the biographical information, but they're believed to be the first father-son duo to both appear in the WBC, which is also amazing because it tells you how long this tournament has been going on now. 06, it's 2023. I mean, we have been playing long enough on this stage that we have fathers and sons. It's incredible. And we're going to get even more facts as we go on once this really gets underway. Sarah will be back out here. She'll be doing her thing, figuring out how to send an email to a thousand plus people. <laughs> She'll get there. We believe in her. We all do. Uh, so we'll, we'll cut off the WBC talk right now because I know there's going to be so much next week and I can't wait for it because you'll have all the first-hand experiences as you're experiencing it every single day. So when we come back, as always, we will have our favorite moments from baseball over the past week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Lang's researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. 
Sarah, I've had enough. You've gotten to go first way too much. I'm not standing for it any longer. We are going to bring on our lovely producer, Alana Schreiber. She's going to come on, and she's going to give her favorite moment in baseball over the past week because all of us love baseball the same, and we're all going to sit here and find our own moments, so we need more perspective on this. So I know Alana said she has a great one. How about you uh, go ahead and kick us off this week? Thank you so much. This is so exciting. Every week you guys do this and I just like have these moments in my head that are my favorite moments. So I'm so excited to share. I'm also going to the World Baseball Classic this weekend in Miami. And my day job is that I work for the local NPR station in New Orleans. And with the WBC coming up, I was thinking like, is there any way we can tie this into local New Orleans news? Like I want to do a story, but it's a stretch. And I found out that there is a one former professional player, Jeremy Bleich, who is a pitcher who used to play for Team Israel. And Team Israel, I should mention, is not really so much made up of Israeli baseball players as it is American Jewish baseball players. And usually maybe like three to five of them were raised Jewish and the rest were just like going about their life. And then one day they get a phone call saying like, hey, we found your grandpa's birth certificate. He was Jewish. <laughs> Turns out you can play for our team. So um but he was raised in like the New Orleans Jewish community and I really wanted to interview him about the history of this team and what he hopes to see this year, but I just could not get a hold of him. He would not respond to my DMs, but I finally thought to myself, like, if I can just get a hold of his mom, then she will make him do this because I was raised by a Jewish mother. He was raised by a Jewish mother and Jewish mothers get it done. They will make their children do things. So I found out what synagogue he went to as a kid. I called them up. I said, can you give me Karen Bleich's email? They said, absolutely. We love her. They gave me her email. I sent her an email. I told her what I was trying to do. And like five minutes later, she responds and says, Jeremy will email you tonight or he'll give you a call. I will make sure he does this. Um, and then... A few hours later, I get a phone call from a former professional baseball player saying, hey, my mom told me I have to call you. <laughs> it was hilarious, but it worked and we did the interview and it was fascinating. He had a lot of good insight about what this team means and what he hopes to see this year. And we are finally airing the interview on Friday. Sarah, I know you, that you like to say baseball is the best, but this week I am saying that baseball moms are the best. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. That is so, so relatable for so many people, I think. And that, I mean, that's just incredible. I, I love this so much. And I love Team Israel. You and I have talked about it, Science We Chat, uh, before recording, but Team Israel was the Cinderella of the last WBC, if anyone does not know. And I'm very excited to see what they do this time around. Very fun group of players, as you said. I believe only Dean Kramer is Israeli, uh, and he's actually a major league player, the first major league player uh, from, uh, from Israel, if I'm correct there. There's uh, Shlomo Lepetz, who I believe is like 44 now. And there's someone on the team who is uh, working for City Winery. I mean, this is why the WBC is so much fun, and I'm so glad you're going to get to go down and uh, see some games. I can't wait. All right, so uh, I was watching the Yankees game last night, playing the Pirates, I believe. It was the only night game from spring training on TV. 
and sometime towards the end of the game. Yes, network goes to bring. And I see this quick clip of Yankees manager Aaron Boone playing rock, paper, scissors with a kid and then handing him a baseball. So I went back, watched it again. And luckily, Booney talked about it after the game. So he said, you know, all these years in baseball, you often hear, oh, it's my birthday, I need a ball, oh, this, oh, that. But for the first time, he heard a kid say, hey, want to play rock, paper, scissors for a ball? So Booney pointed out, I believe, that he won. He said, uh, we tied on the first one. I had to get his rhythm down. Then I too nothing to him, no mercy. I know Aaron Boone, that is Aaron Boone, but he still gave the kid the ball. And it was just such a funny little moment. I mean, a big league manager playing rock, paper, scissors with the kid in the sand late in a spring training game, giving him a ball. I mean, we have talked on this podcast the last few weeks about how the spring training environment is unlike any other baseball environment. And that's something that only happens in spring training, and I just loved it. Uh, that, well, that one was the top one for me this week. And oh, no! No, it's okay. You can steal it again, <laughs> as always. No, but that was just so cool watching that. As soon as you sent it to me, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, to that, that type of interaction... One, like you said, is why spring training is so great. But it's so different. It's so fun. It was sort of like how you talked about Brett Phillips the other week, whenever they're playing catch and uh, with a kid in the crowd. Like Those types of things are so ridiculously wholesome. And I use that word every single week, I feel like, in this segment. But it's so true, and it's so sweet. Um, so, yes, don't worry. I have another one, because how could I not? Um Especially because of your Twitter. Your Twitter saves me, let me just tell you, because I don't get to see everything um, whenever I'm just focusing on Guardian stuff. So whenever I'm able to uh, log into Twitter and I see that you have shared a baseball is the best moment, that is when I'm able to catch up on everything. This one was one of those. You actually sent me this one on Instagram. So impossible for me to miss it. Mike Trout, and I know this is the one you thought I was going to go with anyway, so this was my backup, don't worry. (laughs) Mike Trout with his son. Oh, my gosh. One, when did his son get so big? Uh, I don't know how this happened. I swear it happened overnight. But his son was with him. I guess it was over at their their complex. And he has a little Beckham book bag, which was the cutest little thing I've ever seen. It has baseballs all over it. And in red writing has Beckham, which is his name on there. And they show him pulling all of his little goodies out of his book bag, which was, what, a little baseball, some batting gloves. And he made sure to tell his dad, nope, these are mine. Don't take these. These are mine. And so he's pulling all of them out. And then they cut to them in the batting cage and Trout showing his son how to make sure to to put the batting gloves in his back pocket, just like dad does. So whenever he's walking around, he has them sticking right out of his back pocket it is just so cute, and yeah, to see your dad, one, be Mike Trout, but two, um, to see him be so involved, to be able to be there, to it, it's hard to balance that lifestyle. I see it with a lot of guys in baseball, and so for Beckham to be able to hop in the cage, hit some balls off the tee, um, walking around, holding uh, bat and balls, getting to see all of his teammates, and spend that 
type of quality time with dad and have it all documented. Can you imagine the two of them watching that back in 20 years? Like that's going to be so special to be able to have something like that. So uh, the highlight of it was watching him teach him put the, to put the batting gloves in his back pocket. It was so cute. And I think Beckham is about to be a little mini-me of, uh, of Mike. I want to give a shout-out to the Angels social media team, too. Yes. Because his name is not just Beckham. His name is Beckham Aaron Trout. His initials are bad. And I remember <laughs> everyone noticing that and Trout mentioning it. It seems like it might be on purpose. I know Aaron was named um, uh, after, uh, I believe, his uh, Trout's wife's brother who had passed away. Uh, but anyway, even if it's a family name, uh, it seemed purposeful with Bat. And either way, his name is Bat. And the angels tweeted, can't go to the batting cages without a bat, which is just amazing. And I love it so much. I mean, he is so adorable. And, you know, uh, on Sunday baseball, at some point last year, I believe when Trout was injured, he was mic'd up and he spent about an inning, maybe two chatting with Carl and Eduardo and Coney, and he was talking about experiencing sports through the eyes of his son, and I really think that it puts the sport in another perspective for these guys, and I think this moment was probably as meaningful for Trout as it is for us sitting here watching it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was a trillion times more for him, Uh but I am so glad that it was all captured because that's the type of heartwarming things that we need through spring training. And I'm so glad we got to see it. Um, but I think that'll do it for this week's podcast. I'm going to shout out Alana for joining us for this segment. Thank you also to Adam McAlvey for joining us. Alana. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Yeah, let us know anytime you have your favorite moments because we need as many perspectives of making sure we don't miss a great moment in baseball every single week. All right, well, don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying this show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.